Amen. Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and extending through verse 9. Please give attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those that are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, it's a wonderful joy to be in your presence right now with your people. To just hear your word read publicly and let the truth of that word wash over us and into us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, we would ask that you would use this word and its exposition as a means by which we would commune with you today, that the testimony of our time together wouldn't simply be one of, well, we checked the boxes in the worship service, but it would be one where we would say honestly with integrity before you and one another, today our God has met with us. And we are changed by His grace. Father, in this room right now, there are those who come in with conflicts, dissensions, ruptures, fractions, who come burdened with the weight of a struggle, who need to know today your peace. And who need to know what it means to be formed and shaped and then called and deployed into the work of making peace. Father, would you be mindful of all the individual needs right now? Take inventory of our hearts better than we even know how. And let us, with your knowledge and wisdom... Understand and hear this word in such a way so that our hearts find a peace and an active harmony that leads us to be a kind of people who make peace. Lord, hear this prayer. And even better, hear the prayer that the Holy Spirit prays with groanings that are deeper than words and answer this intercession according to your will. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was my first and only fist fight. I was in third grade. The school bell had already rung. The day was over. I was on the playground with a few of my friends. We had embarked on that wonderful and peaceful game known as King of the Hill. The last man standing fighting and tugging with one another to see who was stronger, who was, who was better, who, who could be king of the hill. As is sometimes the case with third grade boys, our emotions got ahead of us and uh, more than one of us got a little upset and felt ill-treated in the midst of a game that was already designed quite poorly. <laughs> And I remember laying that punch into the chest of my friend Mason, someone I would have never seen myself hit, because I had lost complete self-control. And a teacher, unknown to me, standing at a bit of a distance, came running jerked me up by the scruff of my neck and carried me into the principal's office where I got quite the talking to. And then I went from the principal's office to home where I got quite the talking to. And even more than a talking to if you're picking up what I'm putting down. I remember being in that headmaster's office and him acknowledging these kind of things are going to happen, saying it to the teacher. Conflict, well, it's a part of life. Now that little story, little humorous story, is a microcosm in many ways of a variety of experiences in your life and in my life. Whether it was a game called King of the Hill, where you're throwing each other down the hill to see who could remain on top, or whether it's a, a verbal toe-to-toe -to -toe with your spouse or a passive-aggressive tactic in the workplace or a steely stare from a neighbor who just won't take care of that limb that has fallen into your yard that is theirs to take care of. Conflict is a part of life. Jesus implies as much in the beatitude that's before us. Any beatitude that starts with the language, blessed are the peacemakers, assumes that there is a need for someone to make peace. The implication is that peace is not everywhere. That the opposite of peace is present all around us. Ruptures and divisions and strife of various kinds and at various levels is actually characteristic of the life that we live in a fallen world. As Jesus takes his place on this hill outside of Galilee, 
You know what he's doing. We've talked about it week after week as we've gathered in this, in this series. He's, he's not simply giving moral platitudes of instruction for how we ought to live, though that's certainly true of the Beatitudes. He's doing more than that. He's talking to us about a different kingdom. He's setting in motion, inaugurating and establishing the kingdom that he has come to bring. A kingdom that is not of this world, but a kingdom that is of the world to come. The kingdom that is above. The kingdom that we pray to come, as we will in later in our service, that the Lord's will would be done on earth, even as it is done in heaven. And amazingly, in this beatitude, this this glimpse into the kingdom that Jesus has come to bring, he tells us that we have a role. That we are to join him in the work of making peace. That we have a calling. And that calling is for you and I to be peacemakers. Now, if we're going to do that, We're going to learn how to do that and what it means to be peacemakers in this world and and not what Ken Sandy calls peace breakers in the world or peace fakers, but those who are really genuinely peacemakers in the world. If we're going to really grow into the calling that Jesus is calling us to here, we've got to come to terms first with the conflicts of our lives. That's really where we want to start as we look at this Beatitudes. We want to understand the conflict that we all face. And notice that I put it really ultimately in the singular. The conflict that we all face. Oh, I know there's more than one. I know that there are conflicts relationally. Maybe even at the mention of a word like your boss or mother-in-law. Or husband, uh, or roommate. Uh, Maybe in those moments when those words are risen and faces come to mind, you have something of a quickening of a pulse that happens and uh, some memories and experiences that cause you to start simmering. I I realize that there are conflicts of that sort in this room. I I also realize that for some of you, it's a big deal that you're even in this room. Because you have a history with the church. And there's been conflicts in the church. Failed expectations, disappointments. You think of that congregation member or that old denomination or that old church. And all of a sudden your blood pressure begins to rise just a bit. I know there's conflicts in relationships. I know there's conflicts with institutions like uh, the church. There are conflicts as we look at our world. Whether it's the the constant ruptures of the Middle East or the terrible persecution and violence we heard about just over the last couple of days in Nigeria. Or whether it's the national and political uh, lay of the land in in North America. Have you heard there's a presidential election coming up? Have you noticed people have opinions about it? Have you noticed they're not all the same? Just mentioning the presidential race, did you get a little nervous? What's he going to say? 
What's he going to do? Maybe you found yourself grimacing, whispering a little bit underneath your breath as you think about the political landscape that's before us. We could go on, couldn't we? At every single level. Truth is, every sphere of human existence shows the manifest evidence of conflict. And why is that the case? Why is it that in every direction we look, we can find significant conflict? And, and no matter how many times some Hollywood star or, 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 or some rock and roll star tells us, can't we all just get along? I just wish for peace in the world. It doesn't seem to help. Have you noticed that? That it seems as if the problem is bigger than getting a political leader in place or, or simply finding the right mediator or, or putting the right laws in place. It seems as if there's something afoot at a deeper level. That all the conflicts are really just expressions of a conflict, a singular one. I'd like to suggest that James chapter 4 actually helps us understand underneath these conflicts that there's, there's something going on in the recesses of the human heart. Notice James' diagnosis as he's communicating to a church that's, believe it or not, having a few squabbles. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You covet and you're not unable to attain. So you fight. So you quarrel. You see what James is doing is he's, he's boiling down all of the, the arguments about you know, who should chair this committee and what color should the carpet in the church be? He's, he's quelling all of those conflicts. And he's saying it's actually, it runs deep into the recesses of the human heart. That those conflicts are in some ways simply symptoms of a deeper disease. A conflict that runs to the ground zero the center of the human person. Now, when we recognize that, that doesn't necessarily solve our issues, though it does help narrow the playing field just a little bit. We have to ask the question, what happened to the human heart? That the human heart would produce the kind of social conflict that we see at, at every level. What happened? Why is that battle there? And of course, to get to that, it's got to go back to the beginning of time. We have to remember that all of this conflict inside started with a conflict in the one place where there was once full and complete peace. Back in Genesis chapter 3, something of what we might metaphorically call an atomic bomb went off, spiritually speaking. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit and in that moment found themselves unclad, exposed, full of shame, divided between one another, at odds with the world, and most deeply at enmity with God. In that moment that they found themselves sending out shockwaves, ripple effects from this, this fateful moment of 
choosing to go against the law and the will of God which makes peace, choosing as Eve herself said as she took hold of the fruit. I know God says it'll, that in the day that we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we will surely die, but I see the fruit and I see that it's desirable to make one wise. She made her own judgment with her own desire over a, a food that God had put parameters around. And in so doing, we fell and the whole world fell and the cosmos is groaning from the suffering that has come from that fateful moment. You see, what the Bible is actually teaching us is that underneath our social challenges, underneath our communal difficulties, underneath our organizational fractures, underneath our, our divisions at every level is a spiritual conflict. It's a spiritual source. This is why Jesus, he wants you to know this. Listen, whatever's going on in your life right now, maybe you just, just bring something up. Bring, bring something up. It's not hard, right? Bring something up that is not right. Could be a relationship, could be a circumstance, a situation, it could be an old resentment, as Tony was noting a second ago as we were into confession. To think about how you may view it. Do you view it as merely personality differences? Merely vision and aim differences? Do you view it merely as miscommunication or misunderstanding? Do you view it simply as, as, as a, a being on different page? Certainly those pieces play out, but don't we too quickly run there and, and, and sort of cast our lot to that being the main issue? You know what Jesus says when you're dealing with conflicts? He wants you to not be deceived. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly places. You see what Jesus is saying? You, you may not recognize it, but you're in, a, you're in a spiritual war all the time. It's a war for your own heart as the flesh battles against the, the new man that's been created in Christ and the indwellingness of the Holy Spirit, and you find yourself throughout the week warring inside. Or you find in your relationships always trying to, to mediate some form of peace while getting your way at the same time and finding it's causing ruptures. Whatever the situation is, Jesus wants you to know the real issue that we're facing is a spiritual one. When Adam and Eve made that moment of decision of eating the forbidden fruit, they were making a spiritual guilt-ridden decision. That affects you. And the reality of that's still alive in and with you. He wants us to know, don't simply distill this down to social or educational or political or, or, or medical or mental issues. This is spiritual at its base. He wants you to know that. These are the conflicts that we face and this is the reason that we face these conflicts. And that's why when Jesus comes to us in this beatitude, we, maybe part of us says, how in the world could I answer what it is that he's calling us into, this blessed life of being a peacemaker in a world like 
It is. And with a heart like this. And yet he does. In the midst of that world, he calls you and me to be an agent of peace. So in order for us to be agents of peace, to be peacemakers, coming now turns to the conflict that's all around us, we have to learn how we can receive peace for ourselves first. You know, it's a truism that you never give away what you don't first have. So if you're going to to make peace, the implication is you have to have it first. You've got to to possess peace before you can make peace. There's no way to make peace if we don't first have it ourselves. And so we move from the conflicts that we all face to the conflict that's underneath all the conflicts that we face to the peace that we all really desperately need in this room. And if you've been in this series over the course of the summer, you can kind of anticipate where it is that I'm going here. We've been saying that these Beatitudes, these individual statements that we're treating one week after another in our worship service are not simply meant to be treated as individual statements or aphorisms. They're meant to be understood as a whole. There's a definite order to them. In fact, they build one upon another. To appreciate and understand the instruction that Jesus is giving us here, blessed are the peacemakers, we've got to go back and we've got to understand actually what comes before this. And what's interesting is what comes before this is a statement about the heart. After we are humble, poor in spirit, after we've grieved over our sin and mourned, after we've learned the gentleness that comes from being in submission to the Lord, after we've grown in our hunger and thirst for righteousness, after we've learned how to extend mercy and now desire full purity all the way to the heart, you're prepared to begin to make peace. But we've got to start there with purity. Jesus is actually teaching us by the order of the Beatitudes that peacefulness flows from a purity of heart. If you think about it, it had to be so, didn't it? You remember what James said. Why do you experience quarrels and conflicts? Why do you experience difficulties? Because there are passions and desires that war within you. He's speaking of your heart. James actually tells us in the previous chapter, James chapter 3, verse 17, that the wisdom that comes from above, what's that? The kingdom. The kingdom that's coming down to earth. The kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating, the wisdom that comes from above. Notice the order he puts this in. He says, this wisdom is first pure, then peaceable. Notice he doesn't say, it's first peaceable, then pure. He says, it's first pure, then peaceable. James is telling us that the prerequisite for peace to experience in your life And to be a peacemaker for others in life is that you've got to come to terms with this purity of heart. Now, when you think of purity, you think, well, okay, so i got to be (laughs) pure in heart before I can ever be a peacemaker. So I've got work to do before I ever get to, to peacemaking. Well, that's probably true for you. It's certainly true for me. It's important to understand that with that word purity... It certainly trends in the direction of where we'll ultimately go towards perfection, but purity also has a fuller meaning in the Scriptures. It means to be, to be whole, to be one 
If something is pure, it's, it's all of one thing. It's not mixed or, or contaminated. It's not, it's not got the, the alloys in it. It's, it's, if we could put it this way, it's singular in its nature. When, when Jesus tells us there's purity of, of heart and there's blessing that comes with that, he's not merely saying righteousness. He's actually saying at even a deeper level, single-mindedness. That we've got to literally be about one thing. Not a double-mindedness that James speaks of that says creates what? Instability in all of our ways. What's instability? Rupture. Fraction, division. Instead, we need to be single-minded because what does that cause us to be? To be whole, to be complete, to be peaceful. Think of your life. You're going to get up tomorrow morning and you're going to look at the list of things to do and you're going to say, I never can do everything that I need to do and I'm not sure which one is most important because they all seem really important and I'm just going to stress myself out thinking about it. Because there's so much stuff to do. Your mind's in a million different places. Am I recognize this or am I alone in this? All right? It's an experience that so many of us ex- experience every day. Do, do you know what? What, how, what difference would it make if when your eyes open in the morning, your feet hit the side of your bed, you said, there's only one thing I've got to do today. I've got to glorify God with all of my heart. There's only one thing I've got to do. When I go to work, when I'm with my family, when I'm, when I'm sitting down to eat and drink, when I'm conversing with my neighbors, there's only one thing I've got to do. I've got to love the Lord my God and serve him in his glory. That's all he's asking me to do. You know what? I would guarantee that as I'm saying that right now, isn't something in your heart going, oh, it's nice to have that simplicity. It's nice to have that singularity. Now, I'm going to lose it on Monday morning, but it's important for me to hear it because when I lose it, maybe I'll come back to that. That purity of heart, that single-mindedness, he said, actually brings us to a place of peace. We, we sense stability. Now, we know if we just pause there and sit in that for a minute, we're going to go, well, I'm going to botch that up all day long. I'm going I'm to not live according to that directive and according to that wheel. I'm going to let other inclinations and motivations and drives come back, which is why we need constant renewal of the mind. We've got to go back to being poor in spirit mourning over our sin, receiving mercy. Right, we got to keep going back through them. And you know, as you do so, what begins to happen? Peace. Peace. The fruit of that purity begins to be peace. Oh, how different that is from the way in which the world tends to think about peace and the way most of us think about peace, isn't it? We don't think of peace in that way. We think of peace really, well, essentially, we think of peace sort of like where the Eagles landed in 1972 with that wonderful, record-breaking hit, peaceful, easy feeling. We think of it as that wonderful, right, refrain, I've got a peaceful, easy feeling, right? And I know you won't let me down. You could go on. You know the words. Because I'm already standing on the ground. Oh, it's so beautiful. 
Now, if you know that song, you know that that experience of the peaceful, easy feeling that the eagles are singing about in that moment is what's based on something. You know what it's based on? It's based on a woman and a relationship that he has with a, with a woman. And he, he knows that she's not going to let him down. <laughs> Except that he's wrong. He's actually concerned about it in the song. He says later, but this voice keeps whispering in my other ear, and it tells me I may never see her again. He's not even peaceful when he's singing about peace. That anxiety is there. Now, why is, why is that going on in that song? And why does that even the reality of that speak to us so deeply? It's because we tend to associate peace with feeling and circumstance. Right? That's what we do. We tend to focus on a particular place or a particular set of circumstances that would come together to make us feel comfortable or be at home in some place. The, the problem with basing our sense of peace there is that, I don't know if you know this, but feelings change. Uh, oh, and by the way, circumstances change, which means that if you base your peace and your feelings and your circumstances, you're, you're going to constantly lose your peace. We need something sturdier something more enduring, uh, to connect us to, to not this flimsy sense of felt peace out of circumstances, but a deep peace that's actually connected to what Christ has come to bring. You see, when you read the attending reward from this blessing, notice what it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I want you to hear that language, and I want you to know a son is something that is stayed. It's not moving. It's not changing. It's a position that one gains or receives. You can be a bad son. You can be a good son. But it's, you can't unson. You just are. You're in a position. He says there's a staidness to the peace that Jesus has come to bring. This blessedness of being a peacemaker comes from knowing your position. Comes from knowing where you're located. That comes from knowing something that won't change when everything else changes. This is why in John chapter 14, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and they're stressed out. Because he's about to go away. He's told them they're, he's going to go to Jerusalem. And the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes are going to reject him. And he's going to be crucified. And Peter gets in a row about that. And all the disciples are muttering among themselves. And we're told in John 14 that their hearts are troubled. And when Jesus looks at them, he says, listen, I want you to know this. That the changing of the circumstance of my presence not being with you is not as devastating as you realize it, as you think it to be. And he says these words, my peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Now, I want you to see what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is not just saying, hey, I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for all your needs. I'm going I'm to be sure that uh, your life is easy and comfortable. That's not what he's saying. Don't get him wrong. He's saying the peace that I enjoy by being in perfect relationship with my Father, I'm going to give that to you. I'm the Son of God. 
I'm the one who is your peace. I'm the one who've come here to make peace. That's who I am. That's what he's saying. I'm going to give you the very peace that I enjoy. My peace I give to you. The peace I possess as the Son of God in perfect relationship with the Father. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to call you sons of God. See how powerful that is? Do you realize that this next week when trouble hits you from every direction, the words that I just spoke in the truth of the gospel will in no way have changed for you. No one can take that away from you. Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapter 11 with the, the reality that though wars would come, though destruction would be waged, and though death would lay siege uh, against us, even in all of those things, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus doesn't have in mind a mere feeling when he says, I'm going to give you peace. Peace based on a certain favorable worldly circumstance. You know what Jesus has in mind? He has a certain position that he's going to win for you. And he's going by faith to draw you into in a saving relationship with the Lord. And maybe the question that needs to rise in the midst of this is, how does he do that? Well, you won't be surprised. Because we have seen week after week as we've looked at the Beatitudes that not only are they a call to us, but they are a fulfillment for Jesus. Not only are we blessed who are peacemakers, for we will be called sons of God. Jesus is the peacemaker who is the son of God who gives to us that blessing. How does he do that? Well, Paul says it beautifully. In Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to see that Jesus is fully qualified for this. And just take this into your heart right now. No matter what's going on in your life, just take this into your heart so you can see that he's fully qualified to secure for you the peace that you desperately long for and need. And if you've trusted him by faith, you have it. You may not have felt access to it at this moment. But trust me, his words are stronger than your feelings. And he's got you when you've lost sight of him. Paul writes it this way, for in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Let's pause just right there on that phrase. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now let's go back. Do you remember? We said, if you are going to receive peace, where's it going to come from? Well, it's going to be from purity of heart. Do you have purity of heart? Don't, don't lie to me. You're a work in progress, right? Me too. Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. Does he have purity of heart? There was no guile found in his mouth. There was never a stray thought. There was never an aberrant action. Jesus is the pure one of heart. He's qualified as one who can go before God on our behalf. Because the fullness of God dwells in him and he's pure in heart, notice what also he must be, powerful. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, you don't know my circumstances, Pastor. I don't have to. God does. And he's given Christ for you. And there is no one that can stay his hand through the power of Jesus. 
That's what I know. That's even more important than anything else. He has the power and he has the purity. And because of that, he has the love that leads to the peace. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Do you remember how we said that Adam and Eve at the beginning of time in the eating of the forbidden fruit sent an atomic bomb of shockwaves of sin throughout all the world so the conflict and rupture and difficulties everywhere? Notice the creator of the world comes. And what's he going to do? He's going to bring peace, reconciliation to all things. All of those atomic bomb shockwaves that have wrecked our lives and the world and its history will be put back together through the power of the God who created this world and is redeeming it through the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how he's doing it. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, isn't that a twist? By the blood of the cross. How does he make peace? Isn't this interesting? By entering the very worst conflict in all of human history. You know what we think? We think peace comes by avoiding conflict. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? God moves towards it. He takes it on. Out of his desire to extend to you his peace. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't fake it. He doesn't break it up. He moves towards it to make peace by the blood of his cross. He actually is the one who is receiving a divine and cosmic clash there on the cross. It's the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 when God was telling Adam and Eve, listen, a day will come when the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman will clash and he, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. We're told about that conflict that's coming, the conflict that will, in the end, solve all conflicts and make all peace. That's what Jesus has come to do. And remarkably, what he's telling us is that this Son of God became like us and took all of our conflicts at the root of sin on himself, paid for them, put them to rest, left them in the grave, rose again, is now ascended to the right hand of the Father and has given you his Holy Spirit with sonship so that his full and complete record is yours in Christ so that Paul can write, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For if we are justified, we have peace with God. That's a remarkable thing. That's a remarkable thing. You see, friends, we become peacemakers when the peace that Jesus has come to bring makes us. That's when we become peacemakers. When we begin... To lay aside our own interests for the interests of others. Humble ourselves and sacrifice on the behalf of one another. Willing to take injustice in order to be able to beget love and peace and grace. When we begin to find our identity so deeply found in Christ that we don't have to try to make our identity through what it is that we do because we have found a security and a peace in Christ and the restlessness is gone, as Augustine put it, because we have found our rest in you. Friends, there is reason today to hope. 
Because the conflicts that are in your life and the roiling battle that goes on within your heart and mind, there's a day in which it will all end. And Jesus has secured that that day already for us. And that when he comes and the final clash ultimately happens, we will be welcomed into a place, the new heavens and the new earth. And we will sit with the Prince of Peace in the kingdom of peace. And we will enjoy and know together the gospel of peace. In light of what Jesus has done, how about we make peace? How about we make peace? Father in heaven, come and with this peace make us And from this peace, make us peacemakers. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.